Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm with Father Philip uh, Mulrain, um, an after-cough interview, <laughs> just, uh, just on spec, no script. Um, <laughs> Just, just uh, Father Ryan, Mulrain, thanks in there for taking time out to talk to us on the score. No problem. Um, j- just to bring it back to, I suppose, you were growing up in Belfast as a young kid playing soccer. What was it like for you back then? Like, I suppose, in the 70s, was it? A... Yeah, well, no, no, 80s. I was born in 78, so, yeah, I grew up, in, grew up in West Belfast, and pretty much sport was uh, my whole childhood, really. The soccer and Gaelic and hurling as well, Gaelic football and hurling at the same time, so I played all three. And um, I suppose coming from where I, where I came from in West Belfast, which was a difficult place to grow up in, um, sport was really an avenue for all of us to get off the streets. And you know, I was very lucky with my parish team and my GA team as well to maybe most near enough every day I was involved in sport in some way, especially soccer. Yeah, and as we well know, Northern Ireland has a huge link mm. with uh, with football cross channel, a special link as opposed to Manchester United going back to George Best and yeah, and you had Jimmy Nicholl obviously and Sammy McElroy and. Um, and more recently, I suppose, Norman Whitehead as well, of course. And yeah. More recently, Johnny Evans. So there's always right. that big link with United in, in Belfast or mm. Northern Ireland, isn't it? Yeah, and I would say throughout the whole Ireland, Ireland of Ireland as well, you know, there was always that great link. And um, there was another fe- uh, fellow, Keith Gillespie as well, who mm. just, just went uh, a number of years before me and right. broke into the first team, you know. So, um, yeah, I was very fortunate, just got spotted playing for playing in the in the Milk Cup, the big tournament in the north of Ireland for, and I was playing for my county at it, and we drew Man United at the time, and I played against them and had a good game, and after the game, I was invited over for a trial, and then I went over and trial went well and then signed after that. Yeah, Alex Ferguson signed you, you were only a teenager, weren't you? Like, yeah, 14 really when I signed, and then 16 when I moved over full-time, as soon as I did my exams at school, moved over full-time at 16, yeah. as an apprentice then, you know. What was it like under, under Ferguson? We know he's, he's fiery customer, obviously, yeah. but usually successful and motivated man. Yeah, it was an unbelievable experience, really. You know, just even as a youngster, the attention to detail and even his kind of uh, dedication to the, the youth teams and watching all the games and being concerned about your improvement and how, how you were getting on. And there was a real, for such a big club, there was a real family atmosphere and a, and a good sense to it, you know. Uh, you really felt part of it and... The fact that we all trained at the at the same place, you know, at the Cliff Training Ground, you were around the mm-hmm. first team and seen the players coming in, and um, so there was a great a great sense of, of belonging to the club, even as a young player, you know. But I always the manager was always, uh, was always very good to me, you know, and I have none but positive things to say about my experience there. It really, kind of at such formative years, really from the age of sixteen, kind of shaped me in many different ways, you know, for to go on and have a. Mm. A, a, a bit of a career after and you came at, the, at the, people talk about timing in life mm. and timing in football you were there at the right time when yeah. United just started taking taking over as the powerhouse of, of English football yeah 
Yeah, I went in '94, so that that you know the team was started to be hugely successful then. But you know, it was just the year or two before you know people like Paul Ince and Mark Hughes and all that Kanchelskis and all those you know started to leave and what's called the class of '92 started to come through. And then I suppose, um, well, and Roy Roy Keane especially was well established then, coming from Forest. So a wonderful time to be at the club, but a a difficult time as well for any young player who's yeah. trying to trying to break in because there was such a a once in a generation team you know that to get in that team you'd have to be you know a world class player really you know so wonderful to be around and to watch them at close quarters but yeah um, difficult to forge a career for mm. a, a player who's maybe <laughs> decent enough but not maybe at that level so it was great yeah just because we're in Cork as well um, you know you might you might just talk about Dennis Erwin and, mm. and, and Roy obviously two different kind of characters but what would they like to be around in the training ground mm. No, I was only in the. I was, I got into the first team, uh, squad really in in nineteen ninety, nineteen ninety seven ninety eight, so it spent about I spent about a year in, in the squad, you know, um, but before then, like I said, you're mixing with them in the training ground. You're certainly when you go over first time, you're cleaning boots and doing all the, the things an apprentice does, and um, I was always very kind of inspired by the dedication of them. You know, really that was it, like Roy and. And Dennis more in in a, in a quiet way, unassuming, going about his business, and Roy just the intensity of his dedication. You know, to be a player of, of that stature, you need that single-minded kind of, you know, dedication to the game and and, and standards, and, and so so we learned so much from just watching them. And then when I get into the first team squad, you know, just um, I have to say, being an Irish man, you know, it's there 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 can be a kind of a good bond there as well with the, the, the likes of Dennis and Roy. We're looking out for the Irish players as well, so. Uh, yeah, so I loved being around them you know, and just, just watching them and even sometimes training with them and yeah. and being involved in the squads, although I didn't get on the pitch that often, but just being involved with the squads was amazing, really. Yeah, and yeah. you know, roll on 25 years, um, yeah. for about Ryan, and you know, the game has changed so much, isn't it? Like, mm. you know, the, the money that's in the game, yeah. you know, has it changed it for the worse? Was, was it better back then, do you think? You know, has, has the money, and it's, it's harder for Irish players like yourself now to get into the big teams, isn't it? There, there are a number mm. of Irish players playing with, Teams that are not really at the top, like the United's and Liverpool's and Man City's, it's getting yeah. harder, isn't it, for Irish players? The global game now. Getting hard for certainly Irish players, but even homegrown English players. You know, mm. it's to to break into the top top four teams. You know, because of the spending power and um, the standard now across Europe, like it's the most best league in it could be argued the best league in Europe. You know, most competitive and so to break into those top teams, you have to be really, you know. Uh, a top top class player as a young player to get the chance you know so it's it's becoming more difficult the the thing with the money kind of what i would say is you know and, and you often hear Roy Keane talking about it when he's commentating is the loss of characters in the game mm. you know and i think he be spot on in the sense of like real characters uh in the changing room and you know people who really formed clubs and uh, and the atmosphere in the clubs you know it's certainly there was a drift over time, the the game becoming more individualistic, you know, kind of, mm. kind of. I suppose one manifestation of that would would have been on the coaches on the way to games. Yeah. You know, I remember kind of when I first went to Man United, you'd or even you'd be on the coach and the players would be playing cards and they'd be talking or be bantering on, and then I remember when I was at Norwich later on, kind of all of a sudden the players starting to wear ear earphones and listen to music and mm. in their own little world in many ways. Yeah. And you lose a sense of that camaraderie, that banter, and kind of. Um, so the game has changed in many different ways and certainly for the good and certainly maybe not so good for mm. the good in the sense of the professionalism and the standards and the way that 
mm. the game's really gone off but in many other little ways like that I think it's lost a bit as well Yeah, would you watch much football now? Would you watch United for example or Norwich keep an eye on what they're doing? I keep an eye but I don't get the chance to watch games mm. any, uh, just as a time factor really you know because mm. as a religious priest here in the community kind of our, our day is pretty scheduled and regulated mm. and every other hour there's something happening so to sit down for an hour and a half you just don't really get the chance so I, I just keep up like I'll check the internet and check results and then my friends will still kind of text me whatever and yeah. let me know you know but yeah. I certainly wouldn't be watching it as much as I, I yeah. used to you know I like your top actually you're wearing today mm-hmm. your wave and the way yeah. that's roots club you Albert Plunkett's club you play with isn't it St Albert Plunkett that was my boyhood uh, club who uh, again what I was alluding to there a man Jackie Maxwell started this club uh, for just kids on the, in working class areas and the club has became huge it won the UEFA grassroots uh, award there a number of years back um, has over like 50, uh, 50 teams now when it started off from nothing really so they, they gave me some training gear <laughs> that yeah. I could use <laughs> looks impressive yeah. yeah I'm on about like obviously the timing is good because it's, it's Man United Liverpool mm. um, on Sunday and um you know, that was, was that was the big fixture. I mean, you know, obviously United Man City, there's this huge local rivalry there, but mm. I think United Liverpool was always an added bit of steel to that, wasn't it? Yeah, certainly kind of, and it would even include, not so much anymore, but back then, you'd include Man United Leeds as well. It was a huge rivalry, and uh, but especially Liverpool has that edge because of Liverpool dominating the game for so long, you know, in the in the in the 70s and 80s and, mm. and then United kind of taking over that mantle and dominating in the 90s and 2000s really so there's always been that kind of real competitive steel about the game wonderful atmosphere amazing atmospheres really and between competitiveness between the players so it's always a great game no matter mm. which stage the club is at even though Liverpool seem to be a lot stronger now but on the day like anything can happen because of the intensity of the, the rivalry you know are you surprised? Uh, I don't know, given that Alex Ferguson is a hard act to follow, he's mm. the most successful uh, manager in, in, in British football history. Yeah. But are you surprised that no one's done, you know, done really a good job after following that it's United as such a global club, such a huge club, and they've all the finance that they really have struggled since he's left? I'm, I'm not surprised in, in some sense, you know, maybe I'm surprised in the sense that it's taken so long, that it's, mm. it's been over a number of years now, but it hasn't really um, settled. But such, following such a, a big character who managed the club in, in a style and a way that's kind of changed now, you know, with kind of technical directors and all this stuff behind the scenes and uh, recruitment of people who are actually looking for looking for players, taking that out of the manager's hands. The, the, you often hear Gary Neville talking about this, you know, it's the, it's, it's the structure of the whole club mm. needs to come, align, come in line with like the really best clubs in Europe now of how they, how, how they work. Um, but certainly like recruitment and, and, and the buying of players just hasn't worked in the last number of years you know um, but please God now uh, Ollie Gunnar Oscar gets the time and the, and the back end financially as the other managers have uh, to, to really form form a team you know they just seem to go in through a, a bit of a transition at the minute yeah because mm. uh, he's, he's under pressure so obviously yeah, yeah. and uh, maybe a bit of divine intervention um, for Philip Mulroyne today from our interview with Mike <laughs> He needs something that makes oh, well, Yeah, needs... certainly. No, no, I'd love to see it, you know. But it, I think we just have to be realistic about it and think that the next two, three years is going to be a building process again mm-hmm. for and not to have it's hard as the United Sport to not have these huge expectations, but um certainly they can be doing better as at the, getting better out of the team uh, than what they are at the moment. 
Um, but it, it needs to build again, mm. as the club has always done in the past. It's always, say, after Munich Art disaster, it's always rebuilt teams. And then Alex Ferguson as well, after with the class of 92, always rebuilding teams all the time. Yeah. Okay, he was able to get results very quickly, but it's, this seems to be a transition. The game has changed so rapidly. Mm. It seems to be a bit of a, more of a transition. It's great that the two teams you played for primarily, United and Norwich, you won mm. the Premier League as well. Now. Yeah. Yeah, I'm delighted for Norwich. You know, it, it, it was a great club. I had six wonderful years there, mm. and um, uh, loved the place, loved the club, and 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 really, you know, I'm delighted that they're back up in the Premier League. You know, and um, even hopefully they can sustain that. It's very difficult, obviously, for a smaller club in that sense, but but yet a a, a club with a great tradition, and 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 hopefully they get the financial backing from the the board and uh, yeah. from Delia and all that, and kind of to to be able to stay up. You know. Were you a United fan as a kid? You were? Yeah, United. huge United fan. Yeah, I grew up with my dad talking about George Best and watching the videos and and um, and you know so and all the kits and everything you know so it was mm-hmm. I grew up with like posters of the players on my walls and and then all of a sudden when I was over there it was like amazing really in nineteen ninety yeah. four you know you still look fit you still look like a good player well I, I, training, right? yeah I go train and I try to train every day we get we get like two three two hours in the afternoon mm-hmm. that we're free. Um, and I use it for exercise really you know yeah. because it's all I've ever known yeah. and even for my own mental health and yeah. you know that uh, it's just I've, I've come to learn that I, I need to exercise just to mm. you know for my own well-being I'd say you know when, when you were a professional footballer was it always in the back of your mind to go into the priest or is that did that come mm. after you retired or is that never entered my mind ever really? in any stage of my life until I was 29 mm. so now if you ask my sister and some members of my family that say it was there in my early early teens in my childhood I can't remember that but um, but they're adamant that it was there um, for me everything was football you know I just wanted to be a footballer and and was very fortunate to have uh, um, a, a career over 12 years you know mm-hmm. and then everything kind of changed when I was 29 I came home and uh, quite dissatisfied with how I was living and, and my lifestyle in general and really felt there was something missing and only then did I start to explore again the question of faith and uh, and this dimension of my life that was there as a teenager, which I abandoned, like really when I went over to England to be a footballer, kind of left it behind. And when I rediscovered that, I kind of got a real sense of, of fulfilment and, and, and a happiness that I never had as a footballer, really, you know. So I just followed that. And in the course of that year, started to feel, feel the desire and the stirrings of maybe a vocation to priesthood. It, was, it came from nowhere, really. Yeah. And so it took a few months with that and then made the decision to, to give it a go. Yeah. You probably just missed out on the big money in the game, didn't you? Just mm. And Sky came in and all, you know, the, the, the money's massive in the game now, obviously. Sure, sure, yeah, it's astronomical, really. But I mean, and again, but you, again, you could argue if you look at other sports like basketball and American sports, you know, there's mm. the, the, the money's a lot bigger there. And it's and it's it's relative to the amount of money that's being generated by the television companies. So that drive that's what drives the yeah. the, the wages of up of the players because they're the major commodities. They're the ones who, ones who are bringing people to watch the game, um. And so so in that sense, yeah. So but there was a big jump, in the mid two thousands right upwards from two thousand and five right up. Yeah. It's just gone up and up and up. You know. Just finally, I appreciate your time. You're a busy man. No um, worries. The international scene, obviously, you played over 20 times in Northern Ireland, you scored a few goals as well. Mm. Um, what was that like for you playing that time? Were you playing under Billy Bingham that time? No, was no, it, no. They, Billy had left then, so yeah. a man called Brian Hamilton yeah, was Brian the manager, who yeah. used to be an Ipswich manager. He was the manager that brought me into the squad. Um, and I, I, I think I, I played my first game against Belgium 
I think before I had even made my debut for Man United, you know, so and so I'd, I'd been involved with the Northern Ireland scene right from the age of 14 right up. So I knew the players and I knew the staff and uh, and it was great really, just, you know, a great bunch of uh, players at the time. Mm-hmm. And maybe got a, got more caps and opportunities, you know, you know uh, at the time that, that maybe I would have would have got if I, if I had a played for the Republic's there or whatever, even though that was an option. Um, but, but certainly um, loved every minute of international football, some of the experiences playing against Italy and Spain and mm. teams like this just uh, it's amazing even though at the time we were limited in what we could do mm. uh, we, we, we tended to have a great atmosphere around the squad you know yeah I was just asking that because obviously you're 2020 there'll be a few mm. games in Ireland uh, it doesn't look like Northern Ireland or Ireland mightn't be in there now certainly mm. up against it but yeah. maybe a back route in the playoffs thing but both Northern Ireland and the Republic were up against it now to qualify yeah it, if I could just maybe just refer to Northern Ireland because I was back there a few months ago I was invited mm. back to watch one of the early games in the qualifying against Estonia mm. and just couldn't believe how you know the job Michael O'Neill's done really and just the way they're playing football yeah you know it might, it might seem it might seem quite obvious now but I mean just when I was watching the game Johnny Evans and them just playing out from the back around the full backs the wing backs bombing on people fill it coming through the midfield like when we were playing it was much more direct and, and again with Ireland as well you know at times it was much more direct so he's doing the right things and I think that the team um, with the resources that Northern Ireland have like are just really I wouldn't say overachieving but in many ways it has got the best the best out of them completely mm. so hopefully they can get through the same the same with the Republic you know um, you're just constantly coming up against uh, every team in international football now it's not a walkover mm. it, nothing can be kind of taken for granted you know so yeah. but you, it really starts with with the, the, the grassroots policies of each country, mm. producing players at the youth level and bringing them through the academies and really producing them, you know, so that they play a, a way of football that's then played at the, at the highest level in the first team, you know, and, and, and if they're brought up in that and they're coached well, then this is how the Republic and the North will can hopefully succeed in the future. Good stuff. The very last one, will it be yeah. up in the morning, um, getting for your schedule, Ireland and New Zealand in the World Cup? Will you get to watch it? I won't get to watch it. We've I've mass here. At the, yeah. <laughs> I'll, be, I'll be saying mass. Record, here. No. <laughs> I'll be mass saying mass here at the same time. I'd say at eleven. I think it's at eleven. Is it or yeah, eleven fifteen. Eleven fifteen. Yeah, we've mass here. Will I get a record? <laughs> so, um, yeah, but some, maybe some of the older brothers will, 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 if they they'll be watching it. So yeah, um, yeah. So I'll, I'll either look back at it or kind of hear from them how it went. You know. It's great to see you. Yeah, and, uh, thank you very much. Thanks for your time. Not a problem. My pleasure. Appreciate My pleasure. Thank no you, worries, sir. Trevor. Thank My you. pleasure. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., 